Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers, I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Matty D. And in the bathtub he slurped up a salty surprise that really burnt my eyes. And if you didn't want to know that, then you shouldn't be listening to the show because that is a spoiler. Maybe one that you don't get, Kieran, but ones that some people might get. Wow, (laughs) what is that spoiling? That's what I want to know. Anyway, so what we typically do on this show is we look at all the promotional material for an upcoming movie, the post of the trailer, and then we attempt to predict as much of the plot as humanly possible. But we're not doing that this week. We're putting our creative bones to the test. We're really stretching our uh, creative muscles. <laughs> Matty D's miming something very inappropriate over there. And yeah, we're putting, uh, you know, we're putting ourselves to the test and seeing if we can come up with something better than Hollywood. Mm, yes. But before we get into that, before we get into what we're talking about this week, I just want to uh, pat everybody on the back. I want to congratulate both Matty D and the listener and myself because... Today is our five-year anniversary of uh, Potential Spoilers. Congratulations, Kieran. So, we're doing this episode in sort of like a celebration. We're like taking a break from predicting movies to celebrate our five-year anniversary. And uh, yeah, man, what a celebration this is because today we're actually coming up with a uh, a prequel for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So... For those of you who aren't familiar with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, it was originally published by uh, Hunter S. Thompson in Rolling Stone magazine, and it was probably the first example of gonzo journalism. Matty D, what do you understand about uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and gonzo journalism? Uh, uh, Well, gonzo journalism is the art of putting yourself in the story, like living among the, you know, if if you're doing a story on... A cult, it's like you live with the cult, you spend all the time, all your time with them and you sort of get to know them on a personal basis. So, it's like really adventure kind of journalism. Um, as far as Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, it was a book written by Hunter S. Thompson, that's semi-autobiographical. Well, it was an article that was published right. into a book in 1972. Yeah. And it's you said semi-autobiographical. Yeah, so yes. it's uh, the story itself is uh, he was covering a... Uh, motorcycle race yeah it was like the mint 500 or something like that in las vegas but the the whole thing like the the whole article itself is about like him traveling to las vegas with his partner dr gonzo and uh covering the race but he didn't see the race because he like there was stoned off his head there was too much dust and he got drunk and so on and so forth and he talks about like his journey around the race rather than focusing on the race itself so gonzo journalism by its nature is it's from the the writer's point of view and it's largely plotless, so it's not following a particular plot. And, uh, yeah, what, what, what else can I say about yeah. it? Um, there's a genre of porn called gonzo porn, which just means it's porn without a plot. And, of course, everybody who's seen a, a porn movie, <laughs> I, neither of us here have, no, uh, would be familiar that, you know, uh, a gonzo porn is probably the most prevalent uh, genre <laughs> of porn today. Well, yes, you know, you, you, you do want to watch that sort of stuff for the plot. Otherwise, you know, yeah, exactly. Point? Exactly. So, yeah, the, the whole term gonzo came from Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. Gonzo journalism. But you see, you know, the rules, the strict rules of journalism is, you know, it's impartial. You're writing from an impartial point of view. And he was very much the first uh, author journalist of that time to go against that grain. Would yeah. you agree, Matty D? Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. And, and, you know, he's a part of the story as well. Yes, and of course, uh, as I said, the the story, the the article was actually published. So it was published in two, over two issues of Rolling Stone. This entire Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas story, and yeah, it was published into a book in 1972. And of course, the the characters in this story are uh, Raoul Duke, who is Hunter S. Thompson's counterpart, and Doctor Gonzo, who is Oscar Fierro's counterpart. Oscar Fierro was also a journalist himself. 
They don't really make reference to that in the movie. Not really. Book. Yeah, he's just a lawyer in the, in the movie in the book. Yes, so he's he was a lawyer in in real life. He was a uh, an attorney in real life, but um, I guess uh, that's sort of played into more in the book and in the movie. And speaking of the movie, that's really what we're here to reflect on today. In 1998, Terry Gilliam directed the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie. Of course, Terry Gilliam, famous for directing uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, if anyone's ever heard of that movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> as well as Brazil, uh, 12 Monkeys. Uh, what else did he do? I think that's pretty much all he's notable. Those are stuff. some big movies, though. Oh, uh, the, the the Imaginarium Dr. Parnassus, of oh, course. He directed well, he did that, that really? masterpiece as well. <laughs> wow. Heath Ledger's last movie, mind you. So... Off air, just before we started recording, Matty D said, if Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was made today, it would be a flop. It's funny you should say that because the movie made $13 million on an $18 million budget, meaning back in 1998, (laughs) it was a flop and a critical failure as well. Like, everyone gave it, like, terrible reviews. Like, everyone was like, this is the biggest piece of shit that's ever been released. So, when it was released, made no money, nobody saw it, and all the critics were like, this is a terrible movie. You know what, though? Drug movies never do fantastic. No. I I realised as well that almost every special episode that you and I do on this podcast is always cult movies. Have you noticed that? Yeah. yeah. So, Rocky Horror Picture Show was exactly the same. Made no money and is a cult movie. Scarface was Mm -hmm. uh, critically panned when it came out. It made money, but it was critically panned when it came out. Uh, The Warriors as well, we talked about- so, all these movies are like massive cult movies. and Oh, Small Soldiers. And let's not yes. forget as well, we did a special episode on Small Soldiers. Again, terrible reviews when it came out. Didn't really make that much money. So, I guess that's just a standard of our special episodes. We just talk about cult movies. Well, well, you know, I think that also shows that the critics aren't let's always right. Let's ignore that we did uh, Cool Runnings and, and Lord of the Rings. And uh, Forrest Gump. Yes. Let's ignore <laughs> yes. that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we just do cult movies in yes. our special episodes. But yes. Uh, you said the critics aren't always right. No, and and sometimes there's movies that come out that people pan and they have more life in them than the the higher claimed movies of the day. Well, I want to know, given that you said, oh, if uh, the movie was released today, yes. it'd be a, a massive flop. What is your history <laughs> with uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, both as a novel and as a movie? First time I watched this movie was at uh, university while I was living on campus. Oh, really? There you go. Now, I had... It would probably be one of my third times smoking some of the illegal substances. Oh, really? Now I have family that. So listen- this is this is early days in Matty D's <laughs> yes. drug journey. Yes, yes. So yes. before you were the massive uh, pothead that you are today, this is you're still like. <laughs> so, Kieran, I, I just want to say I know I have family that listen to this show. Okay. So, just for those out there listening, uh, you know, we, we we play characters here. Okay, where okay. You know, this is a script I'm following. Wink, wink. But yes, uh, my first time. So I- this is the same guy who said that he was massively stoned off his tits when he watched uh, Halloween. Halloween, the 2018 version. Yeah, yeah, that was the character. Is this here. the same? Okay, it's the same character. So, I first time I ever I ever did any of that stuff. It was with it was weirdly enough with um with this random metal band that I became friends with. Okay. Uh, in a night, and they I went into their shed and they like passed me like the, you know the substance. Oh, they and, passed the duchy to the left hand side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. See. But uh, you know, and if, and there was a few more times after that, but there was one big time that I I think I got the most stoned for the first time. And the few the first few times I was like, oh, I kind of feel it, kind of don't. But this time, I, it really hit me hard. Okay, and that was the time I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I was at I was at somebody's house. They were passing it around to the left hand side. Yeah, to the left hand side. Yep, it was it was pretty strong stuff. A little bit too strong for me. Okay, and I was watching this movie about tripping out on drugs, and You're I like <laughs> I put some mescaline in with the weed, Ben. 
You might be tripping for days. It, it was not a great time. I remember actually uh, here in Australia in, at our university campuses, we have things called RAs, residential assistants. Okay. You, you had some as well. Yes, right? that's right. Uh, their, their job is to kind of be like almost the security for the parties, but not in an official capacity. Yes, like yeah. they'll, they'll t- tell the party to They're quiet the down. students who keep the other students in check, essentially. Yeah. Like a prefect at high school. Yes, like yeah. a pre- exactly, like a prefect high school. I remember that particular day, like the RA came knocking on the door and I was like, oh no. And the RA just like came in, sat down and started smoking as well. <laughs> uh, but I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and did not have a great time. Uh, wow, I was going to say, that's a very intense movie to watch while stoned. In fact, I don't know why people are obsessed with getting stoned to watch this movie because it would be like the worst experience watching that movie yes. stoned because the whole thing about the movie is it's supposed to emulate the, the, the feeling of being stoned while yes. watching it and so I couldn't imagine actually being stoned while watching a movie emulating the experience of being stoned so and that would just mess with your fucking yeah, head yeah and, and the particular drugs I was doing at the time was it was uh, the guy who was providing it was a really sketchy character and okay. I, I don't 100% or I didn't 100% trust sort of the substances he had because it really knocked me around in a really bad way. I had a really bad trip. Yes. So I'm having this panic attack. I'm having this really bad yeah. trip. My motor functions are all over the place and I'm watching this movie where it's just, you know, that that's on full vo- that's on full volume almost, like all the things yeah. I'm feeling and I'm watching it. I'm like, I'm not having a good time. I'm not yeah. having a good time. I'm not having a good time. And so I can appreciate the movie and I and I appreciate it for an art form. And when everybody, sorry, when somebody tells me they like the movie, I, I say, oh yeah, I, I, I can see why you like it. But for me, I've never loved it because of that reason. Because every time oh, really? I watch it- You just associate it with that bad experience. Yeah, the second time- see, I- that's why I said like, I don't understand people's <laughs> obsession with wanting to watch this movie. Yeah, don't. don't. You're just going to have a bad experience. Don't do it. Well, we have a mutual friend as well who also attempted to watch yes. this movie Stone and he also had a bad experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, the person- It's not a drug movie. Like, it's a movie about drugs, but, but it's, it's not, not a movie a dr- no. that you want to watch while Stone. No, because- do not watch this movie Stone. It's not a it's not a fun time. The, the uh, One of the person, one of my friends who I was with at the time when I first watched this movie said that this was the way to watch the movie. He was like, no, you got to watch it Stone. Yeah, that's stupid. Time. But I completely disagree with, with that sentiment. Uh, the second time I watched it was with you. We had a few drinks. Mm. And even so, when I was watching the movie not in that state, I was like, this is just making me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I kind of cringe well, at certain the, that's bits. that's the point about the movie. It's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it It's supposed does. to make you cringe as well. Yeah, because it's, it's about two characters that do- Stupid stuff, embarrassing yeah. stuff, and horrific stuff, and as horrific well. stuff, and Let's so not forget the whole underage uh, sex storyline yes, yes. in the movie. So even though it's a really beautiful movie, I know I'm rambling on here, but yes. even though it is a beautiful movie, I still every time I watch it, I just feel like. I'm either feeling sorry for them for what they're going through, you know, psychedelically, yeah. or I just don't like what they're doing to other people. So it's not, uh, it's not a movie I sit down and watch. I've only seen it twice, and oh, that's really? enough for me. Yeah, there you um, go. I know. I flip through the book that you have, just yes. hitting into your history yeah. here. So I read a few pages of that and looked at the beautiful illustrations. But yeah, yeah. that's my history. Respect the movie. Love Johnny Depp's performance in it, but um, not my favorite. For personal reasons. What about you? I can completely understand why you feel that way. But yeah, for me, I first watched this movie when I was 13. I was around at a friend's house. You were stoned as well? Not stoned. We were eating chips, believe it or not. That's as hard as, that's as hardcore as we got back in uh, 2002 or whatever the year was. Yeah. And yeah, I remember, yeah, I had no idea what, just from the title, I presumed it was going to be a horror movie. And if you remember how the movie starts as well, like the very 
opening scene of the movie, it's like uh, a really creepy version of, uh, you know, these are a few of my favorite things. And like, there's literally like blood splashes on the screen saying like, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And like Terry Gilliam, his name splashes in blood with this like really creepy song play. I'm like, yes, this is going to be a horror movie. And then like straight away we're thrown into, you know, we're somewhere outside of Barstow in the middle of the desert. And that's when the drugs began to take hold. And then like, <laughs> we're thrown into like really heavy rock music and like this... Uh, convertible car with Johnny Depp and uh, Benicio Del Toro picking up, uh, of all people, Tobey Maguire. Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man himself before he was Spider-Man in the middle of the desert. And it's this very sort of like, sort of outrageous comedy with a lot of drugs. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I'd never seen anything like it. So my mind was blown as like a, a little early to movies 13 year old. Mm. And um, I'd never even heard of half the drugs that they were doing in the, in the movie <laughs> at that point. And I remember just like halfway through the movie, I started to feel sick. And as the movie went on, like the sicker I became. Yeah. Because I don't know, there's something like really nauseating about the movie. And I, I agree. I, say, yeah. I say this as like a positive as well. There's something so like nauseating about the movie that you like, you just feel terrible watching it. Yeah. Well, they're going on a drug trip. It's like a fever dream sort of, you feel their, their you know, intoxication from yes. the movie. And the camera is like always moving. It's always like rotating and, and twisting and moving. And it sort of makes you feel a little bit seasick in yes, a way. Yes, it does. And uh, that's that's a very, like in, like I said, the movie's supposed to make you feel like you are on the same drug journey that they're on without ever having taken any drugs. Or in Matty D's case, it was very much <laughs> the case. He had taken drugs and it just uh, made the experience worse. Mess me up. But it's the movie is not like painting a positive image of like taking all these drugs. It's very much like a negative sort of um, portrayal of these characters and, you know, their actions. So... I don't understand why this movie has this reputation of like, oh, you got to do like all these fucking drugs while watching the movie because like the movie is very much saying like, look at how stupid yeah. these people are to do these drugs and look at how terrible the 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 effect that these drugs are. You know, look at how terrible the the effects of these drugs is uh, impacting the these characters. Yeah, they're not cool characters, but a lot of younger people watching this movie, at least at the time when- Well, I was, was 13. So yeah, yeah, like a lot of people thought they were cool. A lot of younger people thought they were cool. But when you yes. watch it more as an adult, you realise that they're not. Yes, exactly. And uh, I got the book. I actually, the same year, the same year that I watched the movie for the first time, my grandparents, of all people, bought me the uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas novel. Mm. And I was just like, oh, that's that movie that I watched. And I read the novel and the novel is brilliant. And by the way, the novel is actually a lot darker than the movie. Oh, really? I've got to say, like, it does not paint the two characters in a positive light, even though, as we've said, it's semi-autobiographical. Yeah. Uh, it is a blend of, like, fact and fiction. So, there's stuff that is real and there's stuff that's obviously made up. I can't tell the difference between the two, but it sounds like it was a fun weekend <laughs> either way. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the movie. I've watched the movie several times. I own it. It's, it's one of those movies that I'll put on from time to time. And I watch it largely because I think it's hilarious. I think it's a hilarious movie. And I, I think, sadly enough, and I think uh, Matty D's the same, I relate to the movie a lot too. <laughs> because I feel like I've had uh, the, a similar experience to both of those characters almost every weekend of my adult life. Yes. <laughs> So, something that was so strange and alien to me as a 13-year-old looking at the movie going like, I don't get this and, I'm, and I feel sick watching it. I'm like, as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is just a standard weekend <laughs> for good old Kieran and Maddie D. 13-year-old you was just like, why would anyone put themselves through this? Yes. And now, before we talk about a potential prequel to uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I think it's important to talk about the actual prequel to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I mentioned last week. I actually incorrectly called it The Rum Diaries. It's actually called The Rum Diary. Oh, just one. Yes, it's singular diary. 
because he wasn't writing multiple rum diaries, which is uh, in film, it's the pseudo prequel to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. As I explained last week, it also stars Johnny Depp, who's playing the same character, essentially. It's, the character has a, a, a different name. He's not Raul Duke in uh, The Rum Diary. He's a different character, but it's quite clearly supposed to be He's the same character. He's got a bald character. cap and a hat and glasses on. Yes. Well, he actually shaved his head, but yeah. Yeah, it is the same character. He's doing the same performance, essentially. And that story is about him. He's a massive alcoholic. He starts a job as a news reporter in, I believe it's Costa Rica. Okay. Some island uh, nation. And there's like a little newspaper, like the one American newspaper there that nobody reads. He gets a job there. And they essentially like, oh, do you drink? And he's just like, nope, never touched a drop in my life. And meanwhile, like he drank like 80 uh, mini bar fridge, tiny bowls of rum before he went to do the interview. (laughs) And it shows up like they're paying for his hotel room and it shows up like on the bill. And they're like, oh, you've never touched a drop of alcohol. What about these 80 mini bar uh, bottles of rum that you drank? And they're like, oh, it must be a mistake. (laughs) And that's the movie as well. I I think I mentioned this again last week. That's the movie as well where Johnny Depp met Amber Heard. And we all know what happened there. (laughs) Great. So, she plays a woman who he sees skinny dipping off the back of a boat in the movie. And then he becomes infatuated with her and- has an affair with her in a loose way. It's like, this is a woman I would ruin my career for. Yes, yes. It's an interesting- I wouldn't say it's a great movie. It's certainly not Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is, like like I said, a cult movie. Mm. I wouldn't even say, like, it's a great movie, but it's uh, notable for being very different. I'll say that. It's very different. It's very commendable because it's a brilliant movie. As you said, it's a beautiful looking movie, very well made, very well acted, uh, very intense movie, not for everybody. Pushes buttons, which is why I I think I really appreciate it. And I think it's why it's appreciated as a cult movie now. But yeah, The Rum Diaries is very much not that. It's sort of like if you made like the lame Hollywood sequel to Fear and Loathing (laughs) in Las Vegas. And let's not forget as well that there was Where the Buffalo Roam, which was made- Which was Bill Murray, right? Bill Murray in the 80s was before uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was even a thing. Where the Buffalo Roam was based on another Hunter S. Thompson novel. Well, actually, it's very loosely based on a- Hunter S. Thompson novel, and that movie was fucking terrible. Yeah. I would never recommend yeah, anybody Bill, watch Bill Murray's that. Hunter S. Thompson, which is funny yes, because right. like, Bill Murray was friends with Hunter S. Thompson, as that's was right. Johnny Depp. That's right. And the thing that doesn't work about Where the Buffalo Roam versus Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So, the thing about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, as we've explained, is that you're seeing the drug trip from the, the user's point of view. So, we, you're with the people taking the drug. You're on the journey with them, mm-hmm. and we're seeing the effects of the drugs as they're taking them. Where, where with Where the Buffalo Roam, you're watching as almost like a third party people on drugs running around and getting into shenanigans, and that's just <laughs> not as engaging. It's like, you know, it's like watching your drunk uncle at a Christmas, you know what I mean? He's yes. had a few too many beers and he's just making an idiot of himself and he's wearing like the, the Christmas cracker hat on his head. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. And you just sort of laugh at him and, and you're not like with him for the journey. <laughs> yes. So, that's like where the buffalo run. But yeah, anyway. So, that Christmas hat, it's always it's always a funny image, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the surly drunk uncle falling asleep and he's got the Christmas paper hat on. My favourite part, and this is a little <laughs> bit of a diversion here, yeah. about those uh, Christmas crackers. They always come out when everyone's had too much to drink, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, you know, like the little toys, like the little lame toys that come in the Christmas crackers. <laughs> yeah, so, you yeah, get yeah. the joke. The lame-ass joke that nobody ever laughs at. And everyone reads their joke and everyone- no, Everyone like, goes, oh, yeah. huh? Oh, oh, right. Yeah. There's the Christmas hat, like the little crown 
crown, the paper crown that everyone puts on. And then there's the little toy. And I love how every single Christmas, everyone pretends to be fascinated with like the little toy that they get for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then they're just discarded. And nobody yeah. ever thinks about them again. And yeah. like, whatever happens to those little toys? Who knows? Do they get thrown in the bin? You just, I have no idea. I've never kept one in my I life. Me neither, but they're never around. They're always like little spinning tops. Yep. They're always like little dinosaurs. They're always like little finger puppets or little cars <laughs> that the wheels never work on. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, we should get into our plots and uh, which one of us is going to have the pleasure of going first. Oh, this is this is a hard one. Who went first last time? I think it's I can't even. It remember. was a joint episode, so we uh, came up with a plot. Uh, well, do you want me to go first this time? I'd uh, love it if you, you went first, Maddie. You, D. I think you've got a longer one than me. Yes, I think I do. I think I've got a shorter one. I was writing it when Maddie D turned up to record. <laughs> And I didn't leave it to last minute. I, I have a big explanation as to what happened right. with my plot. All right. So, here's my plot. And I've got a title for you. It's oh, yes. uh, Fear and Loathing, The First Trip. <laughs> Get it? Ah, oh, very it? nice. Uh, you know, it's, it's play on words. It's play on words. So, it's, it's just like an American Pie sequel. Oh, and because we got to throw a director's name yeah. onto, onto our movies. I was very lazy. My director is going to be Greta Gerwig. Oh, very nice. Huge. Actually, that'd be fucking brilliant. I want to see this movie now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big director right now, so I figure- Well, you know, well I, I don't know what you're talking about. Wasn't not nominated, nominated for the Oscar, no. Not nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> so, I'm going to slap her on this. And, sure. Okay. Now, so- that would work really well. I would actually prefer to see her do a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas prequel than, you know, I don't know, a, like a movie about a doll- <laughs> That she might do a very commercial movie about a doll. Oh, man, I can feel listeners turning off now. (laughs) Well, they're already not going to listen to this episode. (laughs) Who who cares about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? There's surely a crossover between Barbie fans and uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas fans, aren't there? Mm, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. People get high to watch both. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so we're going to open with a young Raul Duke. Yep. He's four. uh, Is that how you're saying his name? Raul? Raul. 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 Rattle. Rattle. It's like it's like British rattle. <laughs> rattle. We're rain manning again. Yeah, Raul. Okay, Raul, cool. yeah. Raul, he, he's- Just uh, call him Duke. That's what I do. Right, I'll just call him Duke. That's probably easier. I Actually, I'll tell you I'll tell you later as we go on something Okay. Like. Uh, but um, he's swinging on his swing set. He's a young uh, young man. <laughs> I was going to do this too. <laughs> he falls He falls over. He scrapes his knee. He looks around and he's crying, of course. He looks around yeah. and he, there's no parents around. But there's there's conveniently a drug dealer in the same park. And the okay. drug dealer comes over, assists him, put a bandage, put a, put a Band-Aid on his leg. And Injects says, him with some heroin. And says, and says uh, you know, don't worry. As long as I'm around. Uh, as long as I'm around, you'll, you'll be, be all right. right. Yeah. And he's not doing it to be a creep. He's just being nice. Anyway, that's yes. our opener. And we're going to- Flash forward to a, a, a young Duke. Um, he's in his 20s, so this right, is about okay. 1961, I'll say. Right oh, okay. about there. The original movie was 1971, I believe. 72. But yeah. 72. Oh, it was 71. My mistake. But he yep. was in like his 40s in uh, 1971. I thought he was like 31 or in his 30s. No, he was in his 40s. Okay. Well, then he can just be a little bit older than in his 20s. Late 20s, early 30s. Uh, I know Johnny Depp was in his 30s at the time. Anyway, doesn't really matter. He is being played by Timothy Chalamet. Of course. Yep. So, just for context, Hunter S. Thompson was born in 1937. Okay. So, he would have been 30 in the early... Uh, th- in the early 60s. So, you you were uh, kind of you were 10 years off. Okay. <laughs> this is not going to make a whole lot of sense then, but we'll okay. just we'll just plow through. So, no, p- it's, just, it's the 50s. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It's the 50s. The, okay, sure. But like drug use was you not- just age as- him up. 
10 years. Yeah, yeah. Drug use was not as huge in the... Well, this is a fictional character as well. So yeah, I can, okay. This he is can be, his plus. He so. can be in his 20s and the 60s. Why not? So sure. um, so picture my Duke. He's, he's like, he's not completely bald yet. He's got like a comb over. Like in the Rum Diaries, mm-hmm. yeah. He's a little, he's a little like lean and thin and bright eyed, bushy tailed. The world yep. has not crumbled his spirit yet. Okay. So he's going to, he's going to try to become a journalist. So he... Okay. Goes into a publishing company and he's met by the owner of the establishment who is played by J.K. Simmons. Oh, welcome to the publishing uh, company. Yes. What do you publish? Oh, just stuff, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We do journalism stuff here. Yeah, he does journalism stuff here. So the Duke asks for a job. And J.K. Simmons is like, what do you got that anybody else can't can realize? I just realized why you cast J.K. Simmons as the, <laughs> the head of the, the journalism company, as you called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah. the production company. Yeah, yeah. I want pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> I want pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. If you happen to pitch, uh, pick up a hitchhiker that looks kind of like Spider-Man, <laughs> keep that in mind. Oh, wow. This is brilliant so far. Uh, yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but eventually he reluctantly accepts. So he says, all right, I'm going to give you a job to prove your worth, okay? I want you to go down to this music festival. There's a bunch of hippies at this music yeah. festival. They're it's all not- sliding around in the mud. Yeah, it's not Woodstock because that happened in 69 and that was two years away. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of ruined Matty D's plot <laughs> a little bit. But I did a very similar thing in my plot, don't worry. <laughs> but, you know, I want you to go there and report about what's happened, write an article about what you see here. Yeah. Now, young Duke goes, oh, I, 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 this is me being him, right? Yeah. I, I, I couldn't possibly do that. They do. Because he's Timothy Chalamet. Yes, he is. Plot. He is. They, they do gulp. Drugs there. I, I don't. I don't like the drug scene. I'm not into the drugs. I'm scene. not into the drugs. I've never even had a drink. But eventually, he gets bullied into it. JK's like, yeah. Listen, He's you go away. Like red nose. He's got a little red nose and a pale face. Yep. Yep. Stop it. Reverse it. <laughs> Flip that. Flip that. Oh my god. So now we go on to a road trip, and as. As the Duke is leaving the the building, the publisher pro- <laughs> publishing company building, he gets hit by a car. It's an accident. Okay. Like, you know, he's not paying attention. He's whimsical. Yeah, I see. He gets hit by a car and uh, he's like, and oh. Keenan Michael Key's the, the taxi driver who ran into him and he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on the side of the road yeah. is another figure, Dr. Gonzo. Okay. And he runs across, he goes, oh. Look, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an up-and-coming lawyer. We can up-and-coming su- lawyer. We can sue this person. You, you, I'll, you'll be, I, I'll represent you. You can be my client. I like the amount of stuttering that all the actors have in your movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a character choice that yeah, okay. they all have. Now, I had a lot of issues. I, I had these, um, I had these yeah, thoughts no <laughs> about who would play Dr. Gonzo. I thought, you know, maybe to make it a, a Samo and uh, the guy who played Young Rock. But you know what I okay. thought would be cool? Casting old Johnny Depp. We're old old Johnny oh, Depp. Oh, that's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, I mean, in this world, he can age down a little bit, but I think he could kind of play this that's character. That's an interesting idea. I mean, we're whitewashing everything in Hollywood yeah. anyway. I mean, they did that in the original, movie, original yeah. movie, so we'll just ignore that. But that's who Dr. Gonzo is going to play. So the Duke is not really wanting to be with Dr. Gonzo or have him around, but he's- like fuck off. He he's he's persistent and he's like, No, 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 let's let's I need to stay with you just in case you're injured and you know we can we can get more money out of this accident. Yeah. At least pretend you're injured. <laughs> yes. Limp a little bit. So they get in the car and they drive down to this festival. Along the way they pick up some hitchhikers. It's a good Oh, very nice. It's a group of girls. Oh, okay. Uh, one of those I'm gonna put in as Renee Rapp, who's currently in 
Mean Girls. The reason I okay. wanted to slide her in is because we predict up and coming stars on this show. Okay, yep, okay. And I think she's going to be like. The I've never next- even heard of this actress. She- so. But she's going to be the next General Ortega, is she? Jennifer Lawrence, I think she's going to be. Yeah, or the next General Ortega. I have a prediction. Jennifer Lawrence, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I have a prediction she's going to be like everywhere okay. very soon. Cool. So I'm going to throw Let's her not here. forget that Angoria Rice was also in Mean Girls recently, but uh, she's already pretty much an accomplished actress. So yeah, anyway. Just slumming it for Mean Girls. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so they get in the car. And they're driving along, and the the hitchhikers say, "Hey, you want to you want a joint?" Because they're like oh. they're hippies, and yeah. And the Duke's like, "Oh no, I I, I couldn't do that." <laughs> I thought you're doing a Timothy Chalamet. Impression. Drugs are drugs are bad. Um, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And and uh, and Gonzo nudges him. He's like, "Don't do that, man. We, I want them to think we're cool. I want, I want them to think we're cool guys." Trying like, to get laid here, man. He's like, "Okay, all right." And he takes a puff of the green stuff, and we have our first. Like the music kicks in. <laughs> yep. can just imagine it now they're having a little moment so yeah and we'll and this will this will open with our first musical number because this is going to be a musical as well okay yeah <laughs> i can see it but all of a sudden it's great right yeah yeah absolutely all of a sudden wee woo wee woo wee woo oh no the police car is behind them <laughs> and they eat all the pot like in uh right <laughs> uh, the 13th uh, part three or or in um what was that highway uh, super troopers yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they pull over and and they're met with two police officers played by kieran and maddie oh D. well done Yes. I just want to point out in Friday the 13th Part 3 where they uh, eat all the pot because they're, they're like a police car comes up behind them and the sirens come on. They're like, shit, we're going to eat all our pot and hide the evidence. They eat all the pot. And the police car just drives past them. Yes. <laughs> Funny scene. <laughs> and then they trip out. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so we come up, you and me, played the, we yes. played the police officers. Oh, so, you know, we were like, how? we know there's a few people that drive along here traveling drugs along this road so we just got to make sure drugs, okay <laughs> transporting drugs okay. along here so we got to make sure you're not doing that and quick thinking juke goes oh but i'm i'm, I'm officer i've got a question um i'm actually a movie writer uh, a script writer a script writer he, yes. no he says movie he writer. says movie writer because he's not really i'm a, a movie writer he's, he's not a script writer right so movie he, writer you say he accidentally says movie writer he says i've got this idea for a movie about superheroes who uh you know are created by these gods and come down to earth and they all have spe- special abilities but they all this look- man's definitely on drugs arrest him. <laughs> <laughs> they all look human and they live forever and they but they don't do anything through this, this sounds time. fucking terrible <laughs> do you think this is a good idea or a bad idea and the Matty d police officer says i think that, i think that's fantastic i love Might that one of my favorite movies of 2022 and the kieran a police officer says this seems terrible this is like the worst movie worst yeah. style of this movie ever and they get into an argument and that and then the duke and they're just they're distracted they're distracted and, and they, they drive just away. quietly drive away. i like that you're calling him the duke by the way <laughs> he's just duke but you're just yes. calling him the duke like he's the duke of john death. john wayne yeah yes this show is completely well. It's appreciate. We're covering a really off the rails movie, yes, and we have a really off the rails podcast for it. Yes, it's uh, it's all in theme. All right, so they drop the girls up. Sorry, drop the girls up. They drop the girls off. They knock the girls up and knock the girls and up. Drop them off, and they drop them off, and realize yeah. they stole their wallets. Oh, oh shit. no! So they don't have any ID to get into not Woodstock. <laughs> Absolutely, like you need ID to get yes. into there. <laughs> not Woodstock, exactly. And so they're going to check into a hotel, but they've got no money. They're like, oh no, yeah. what are we going to do? But fortunately enough, 
there's a there's another guy that's like, hey, come and come and stay in my room. Where I'll let you lodge for the night. Okay, cool. You can <laughs> sleep goes, on the floor with some blankets. Yeah, he goes, okay. Um, I didn't pick an actor for this. Who who should I cast? I'm throwing it to you. What's this character like? I don't really have the grasp. On he what this is. Like. He's like he's a bit of a he's a drug guy. Okay. Um, and he's probably off his face by this stage. And well, maybe could Tom, be a bit older. Okay. Tom Holland in his breakout role. Tom Holland's back. Yeah, he's and back he's from his uh, his break from acting, and this is going to be like the oh. the role that gets him like back into Hollywood and taken seriously. Actually, as an actor. I could put Tobey Maguire in here. That'd be a nice callback. Yeah. Or Bill Murray. Actually, yeah, I changed a, my mind. I'm putting Bill Murray picture. in here. Okay, it's Bill Murray. Bill Murray, really old Bill Murray. Yep, and he offers them LSD. They have a nice trip, which brings us to our next. They have a nice trip. Okay, they have a nice trip, which brings us to our next musical number. And all of a sudden, Duke wakes up and all of a sudden he realizes, realizes he's hanging out with bikers. He's like, I don't remember how I got here. Uh-oh. This is a callback to um, Hunter S. Thompson. One of the first time he, he appeared on TV in a in a very public sense is when he- Do you remember this? He he was hanging out with, I think, the Hells Angels. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And he did a TV show. There's they- a book about it as well. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but it's uh, something about Hells Angels. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember the, and, the title. And, and he- it's actually in the other room on the bookshelf, yeah, but I really? can't remember the title. Uh, well, he hung he hung out with them for a few days and they kind of embraced him as like one of their I'm own. I'm going to go get the book. Give me one sec. Keep, yeah, okay. to- keep talking Phil for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, listeners at home, he, he hung out with these Hells Angels bikers and they really, really started to trust him. He wrote this book and sort of spilled all their secrets and sort of said a few things about them that they weren't entirely happy with. And they had a huge interview section. Uh, well, what, what am I looking at here? Uh, it's co- is it called Hell's Angels? <laughs> of course it is. But uh, he appeared on this interview show uh, advertising the book and the Hell's Angels were very, very unhappy with him and threatening him on live TV. It's a great interview if anyone wants to see it, just to see what sort of guy Hunter S. Thompson was because he really did not give a fuck. Yeah. So the book is just called Hell's Angels. Yeah. And it was written before Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I believe it was written in the 60s. Let's have a look here when it was first published. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, oh, here we go. Love that we have resources on hand. It was written in around 67, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. But yeah, that's what it says here in the front of the book. Cool. Awesome. So, so I have all of the Hunter S. Thompson books. That's awesome, I man. I just haven't necessarily read them all. <laughs> that's why they're there. So you can read them. Um, so anyway, he's hanging out with these bikers. He's going to say something inappropriate and they're going to chase him out. He's going to reconnect. <laughs> no, 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 no. He does uh, tequila. He dances up on yep. the bikers. <laughs> and they like, it wins them over. Yep. And exactly. then they rip it off in uh, the Adams Family too for some reason. <laughs> anyway, uh, they're they're running along. They're nearly at the festival. Gonzo and Duke are nearly at the festival, and suddenly Kieran and Maddie D appear again. Oh, the cops! Like, oh no, we've been following you this entire time. Now you can't get away with it this time. And Duke, again- why did you have a fucking scene with Hiroshima in your stupid superhero <laughs> movie? Like that's really in bad taste. We have to arrest you on principle yeah, just for that. No, no, they don't say that. They say, "Hey, bow tie." I have this idea like this. I, I'm thinking about the concept of an action movie, right? And they're like, "Okay, would you consider Casablanca an action movie?" Of course, Officer Maddie D says, "Yeah, I think it's one of the first action movies." <laughs> and Officer Kieran says, "No, it's not." And then they get this into this is a such fight. an obscure reference. No one's going to understand this reference. It's just for you and me, man. Okay, uh, that's a little disagreement we have. Anyway, uh, they uh, steal the police. Okay, car. we're going to have to explain now. So, okay. all right, when we did a podcast called Best Movie Quest, we covered the movie Casablanca. Yes, and Maddie D described it as an action movie. Yes, I said it was one of the first action movies yes, ever made, which is not accurate, <laughs> and it still isn't accurate to this day. There's action that happens in it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not an action movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm going to relent on that point. I think uh, I think I was wrong there. Oh, finally, after all these years. <laughs> after 10 years. He finally admits that he's... Because we gave him a lot of shit back in the day, and he was very defensive about yeah, it. Yeah, so I put my foot down and went, no, I'm going to double down and Casablanca say... Casablanca is an action movie, even though there's not a single second of action in that for, movie. For 10 Somebody years. gets shot. <laughs> yeah, that's about that's it. That's the action. For 10 years, I, I held firm that it was an action movie. Yeah. Well, hey, five-year anniversary. Congrats, man. <laughs> there we go. Shaking off all that stuff. So anyway. It's a milestone episode for us, so might as well have a big revelation. <laughs> yes. Like admitting that Casablanca is not an action movie. <laughs> it's partially an action movie. Anyway, oh. uh, they steal the police car, as in Duke and uh, and Gonzo steal so the I'm police gonna car. I'm going to say that Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is an action movie. I guess so. There's car it's chases. Not. Come on, man. It's not. It's a good point. I think it is an action movie, Ken. Uh, <laughs> good, good, good pickup. Uh, so they just Gary Busey's in it for one scene. Doesn't make it an action movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, true. Um, anyway, they drive to the festival, but they decide to get do so many drugs that they've picked up along the way. I like that uh, Hunter S. Thompson in your, oh sorry, uh, Raoul Duke in your plot is just like he started off not doing any drugs and now he's just doing every drug under the sun yeah, willingly. It's, it's a, it's an arc. It's his journey from okay. being like the non-drug guy to the ultimate drug guy. Okay, and it all happened over like a single day too. Yeah, I think there's going to be things peppered through. So during the scene where he's with Bill Murray, he's going to pick up a bucket hat. Uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the hitchhikers leave. He steals his bucket hat. Yeah, he steals the bucket hat. He looks in the police car and he sees like that um, cigarette holder. He's oh, in the yes. back of the truck. He's like, oh, yeah. So he's just picking up pieces of what will become his iconic. Yeah. Like his hair starts to fall out. So he's completely bald. He picks up some sunglasses from hitchhikers. Shirt. Yeah, it's all, it's all coming together. So he comes back. I like to imagine he starts off like really straight like he's wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And then just slowly adapts this over time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I'm picturing it. Okay, that's cool. And maybe- the actor changes to someone cooler as well. <laughs> it's Timothy at the start, <laughs> and it's someone that we so, actually like. <laughs> I like that we've really turned on uh, Timothy Chalamet. We used to cast him in every. It's called Wonka. Yeah, we, we, since we saw Wonka, we really turned on Timothy Chalamet because we used to think he was a good actor. He, he is, but that Wonka movie. Yeah, oh, oh man. boy. Anyway, that's for another episode. Yes. But uh, he comes back, gives J.K. Simmons his story, and J.K. Simmons goes, God, God damn it, that's genius. You're a genius. You're the best writer of our generation. Oh, so, like, he comes up with, like, a gonzo story, like, talking about the experience, and he missed the whole festival, yes, obviously. Yes, that's right. Okay, cool. That's right. That's Interesting that you should mention that. Anyway. That's what happens. And we're seeing this shot of J.K. Simmons telling us this, and it turns around, and we see our, well, our goes, not, my, not my tempo. <laughs> not my tempo. <laughs> and he's got his bucket hat. He's got his glasses. He's yeah. got his Hawaiian shirt. He's fully transformed he's into transformed uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Into Hunter S. Thompson. And even though we've not had this- he, you know, he, Now he's played by Johnny Depp. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you look kind of like the lawyer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot he was We have a de-aged Johnny Depp. Yes. There we go. It's just fully CGI. <laughs> it's all CGI. Puts his cigarette holder in his mouth and he walks off and we're going to have some narration about- He's like, you know, oh, I'm going to go cover, uh, I'm going to get a job at Rolling Stone. Yeah. Cover the Mint 500 race. Yep. And it all sets up perfectly. I am the knight. I am vengeance. Dun, 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 dun. And that's okay. my prequel to Fear and Leaving. Oh, very, very good. I like that a lot. Appreciate it, man. What's N- yours? Now, I, I have to tell you the whole journey I went on writing Please this fucking do. plot. 
because, oh boy, it was a journey. So, my first idea, and I don't know if you're going to appreciate this or not, I was actually going to write it in the style of Matty D. So, I was going to be like, can you imagine if like it starts off with a childhood flashback and Hunter S. Thompson falls down and scrapes his knee and then like a drug dealer comes along and says, as long as I'm still around. And then I'm like, actually, there's every chance that Matty D might actually write that into his plot. I don't know whether to be flattered or insulted. But I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that because Matty D will be pissed off, first of all. And also, we'll both have the exact same plots as yeah. each other. And then I was just like, all right. Here's an idea. What if I was inspired by Hunter S. Thompson himself and I write about, like, I do, like, a whole gonzo journalism piece about my experience writing the plot? Oh, okay. But the thing is, my weekend wasn't really that exciting. Like, I went to a Japanese restaurant. I had a few beers. But then aside from that, like, not a lot happened. So, I'm like, well, it'll just be really lame. It'll be like, oh, I started writing my Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas plot and I didn't really have a good idea. So, I went down and, uh, you know, and went had sashimi in a Japanese restaurant (laughs) and then said, what should I write about in my Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas plot? Uh, And the people I was with were like, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. And, uh, and I'm like, well, that wouldn't be interesting at all. It'd just you can be exaggerate me, it. It'd just be me talking about what happened yesterday. <laughs> and so, I was like, no, no, I've actually got to sit down and, and write like a proper prequel plot as, you know, Hollywood would expect. And so, literally like an hour before we started recording the thing, <laughs> I had to sit down and come up with a plot on the spot. And thankfully, I had like a couple of days to think about it because otherwise I would have had nothing. I would have been like, sorry, Matty D. Like, I know you put effort in. <laughs> yeah. Barely. But uh, I, I don't actually have anything. I'm going to have to make up something on the spot and it would just like fall on its ass. You know what? All jokes aside, it's hard to think of a prequel to this. Yes. I don't think it's a movie that needs a prequel. Actually sitting down and trying to write, I'm like, I don't fucking know. Jesus Christ. What? It, you know, it's like based on a, a true story. So how on earth am I going to come up with like... Something that came up beforehand, unless I just rip off the rum diary. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got nothing. But, you know, I sat down and I said, all right, what would you want to see in a prequel? If they made another Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie, what would you want to see? And, you know, what is standard in prequels? Think about Solo. Think about Wonka. Think about just shit uh, prequels in general. <laughs> the Star Wars trilogy or the prequel yeah. trilogy. And then just put all that into a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie. So, here is my movie. It doesn't actually have a title, but I could probably come up with one right now. How about Fear and Loathing, uh, the first trip? That sounds good, doesn't it? It does sound good. (laughs) Sounds very similar to mine, but yes. I just stole your title. I was actually going to call it Fear and Loathing in Los Angeles, but, uh, you know, that's just- We can share the same title. I'm I'm okay to share the title. And my director is the guy who directed Wonka. Why not? Oh, no. Why not? Like, he has a good vision. He did the Paddington movies. Yes, and they were very good. masterpieces by simple people, so- uh, They are good movies. (laughs) So, I think it's perfect for- uh, I haven't actually seen the Paddington movies, so I'm not going to. But yeah, from what I understand, they're actually pretty good, so I don't mean to shit on them. (laughs) On those movies and people who like them. <laughs> just insulting everything. I also today. don't know the director's name, so we're just going to have to presume. The man who directed Paddington and <laughs> yes. Wonka. But, okay. you know, I have a little bit of a, you know, a furrowed brow thinking about him because he did make Wonka. <laughs> and that was a painful experience in the cinema. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Raoul Duke in my movie is actually played by Austin Butler. Okay. All right. Uh, you know what? That works really well. I, I think that's so a too. really good casting. Yeah. I, I thought that was very inspired. I'm like, I don't need to write a plot. I just have a really good casting. He has a deep voice. He he gets into his roles. So You could imagine him playing like a younger Hunter S. Thompson, yes. right? He looks like him a little bit. And he's a Sydney-based actor as well. So, okay. thumbs up to him there. There you go. And he has that pretentiousness as well. That like Actually, he's, actually, he's really down to earth. If you listen to him in interviews, like talking about his roles, he's actually really down to earth. You oh, think really? he would be pretentious, but I was actually surprised at how down to earth and grounded he was. And really sort of, like, kind as well. Oh, well, I take it back then. 
because I thought he was going to be really pretentious because he comes across that way in his movies. You yeah, know what I mean? And also in like red carpet interviews, which isn't yes. really a good reflection of who people are, but he kind of comes across that way as well. So you know the YouTube series Hot Ones? Yes. The one where they make like uh, celebrities. Oh, I love that show. Uh, eat hot sauce. Watch the Austin Butler Hot Ones one, and it will really change your opinion on that. Okay. Because I felt the same as you until I watched that episode. And everybody at home as well, you can watch that episode if you if you care to as well. So my movie takes place in 1968, seven years after Matty D's plot, and of course it's set in Los Angeles. Of course, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the opening of that movie starts off in Los Angeles, so I figured like, you know, we might as well bookend it, or it's not really a bookend, it's a book beginning. Um, move on. So we start off with Raoul Duke being fired from a small time newspaper due to his rampant alcoholism. <laughs> so I'm actually tying it, I'm actually making it a sequel to The Rum Diary and a prequel to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas at Very the same nice. time. So he's a massive alcoholic, he barely gets any work done, and so of course they give him the sack. So he started off by saying he doesn't drink, but he became so far gone that he would just openly drink hard liquor while working at his desk. So he's just got a bottle of rum next to him, you know, next to his typewriter, and he's just like... Wasn't that normal in the 60s? Isn't that just called a normal job? Yeah, pretty much. That's just Mad Men. That's just every season of Mad Men. So anyway, Duke decides to apply for a job at Playboy magazine since he believes that nobody actually reads the articles. So he's like, I can just write whatever and then, you know, nobody's going to read them because nobody reads Playboy for the articles. It's like a reversal of that joke. Don't explain the joke, Karen. And he might be able to hang out in the Playboy mansion with Hugh Hefner and the bunnies. He's just like, that sounds great. Get to see some tits. I can just write some (laughs) random shit and they'll publish it. Sounds like a great time. So, Duke stumbles his way through the job interview with Playboy, which is surprisingly formal given the content of the magazine. So, can you imagine like it's like a regular office, very stuffy and formal, everyone's wearing suits, and Hugh Hefner's actually present during the interview as well, wearing a smoking jacket and sporting a permanent erection, (laughs) and Hugh doesn't engage with Duke during the interview, he just lies on a couch in the side of the room staring at the ceiling, and Duke presumes that he's just fantasizing about nude women and isn't paying attention to what he's saying at all. Who who's playing Hugh Hefner? I didn't have anyone cast, so uh, who would be good as Hugh Hefner? Well, uh, An older person, Timothy Chalamet. Oh well, Hugh Hefner is not old at this stage. <laughs> no, no, no. He's in his thirties uh, at this point. Okay, still wearing the smoking jacket for some reason. Yes, of course. Uh, we have to know it's Hugh. No, he was in his forties. Was sixty-eight, wasn't it? Yeah, so he was in his forties at this point. So I've got a cast. Uh, oh, how about how about Johnny Depp in a cameo? Why not? Yeah. Playing uh, <laughs> Hugh, Hefner Hugh Hefner for some reason. I have seen Hugh Hefner played by um, Uncle Ben from the Spider-Man trilogy yes. before, and I thought that he was severely miscast in that. So, <laughs> worst <laughs> casting has been made before. And Stan Lee as well was Hugh Hefner. He, oh, yeah, that's right. He in was too Man's. in in Iron Man. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so the interviewer isn't really interested in Duke's work history. It's like he says, oh, I wrote you know a couple of stories about uh, embargoes in Cuba. Blah blah blah. And, and the interview's like, yep, yep, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and it's like not writing anything down. So Duke's like, this isn't going very well. So uh, Duke lies and says, oh, I actually also covered sporting events from for my old newspaper. And uh, one of the things that I did was uh, NASCAR. We used to do a lot of NASCAR. And the thing is about like NASCAR is you're right up against the track and you can always see the car. So when they crash, you're right there in the accident. So it goes into detail about like the really graphic accidents that he witnessed while uh, covering NASCAR events. And he's just like, I would always write about like, you know, oh, people who were severely injured or even killed during NASCAR accidents. And so Hugh Hefner suddenly perks up. He like sits up and he's like, he's already, he's already more so than he is already. He perks up at at hearing about the car accident stories. And he's just like, man, this is perfect. We wanted like a sports columnist, 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 columnist. We wanted a sports journalist for our newspaper. And I think you're going to be perfect. And then, of course, Raoul Duke is uh, 
So his first assignment is to cover the motocross Super Bowl, what's dubbed the motocross Super Bowl, the first ever motocross race at the LA Coliseum. Now, I know for everyone out there, I know this happened in 1972, but I'm making this up as I go along. And this is fictitious. And as this well. is fictitious. So, this is actually. So, in this movie, the, the first ever motocross Super Bowl happened in 1968. Yes. Instead of 1972, everyone settled down. Stop sending. See, I can feel people typing their emails. Sorry, it was um, it was a practice run that didn't get reported on much. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was before <laughs> they did the 1972 one. And we'll find out why in a second. So Duke is partnered up with a dopey pot smoking photographer who's played by Maddie D hey! in really good casting. And the photographer arrives an hour late, causing Duke to become furious and anxious about not having enough coverage of the race. He's just like, shit, well, like, we didn't even get photographs of the races before the race. The race has already started. You're like, you're just going to take photographs of them racing around. The <laughs> Obviously, the Matty D uh, photographer's just like, yeah, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> don't worry, I'll take a photo. And he's like too slow because he's been smoking pot on the way there. Like, he tries to line up a shot and he's like, <laughs> it's just like the, the, the backside yep. of the wheel and the shot and <laughs> yeah, it's like all yeah. blurry. <laughs> so, to calm his nerves, Duke lines up to buy some beers from the stadium bar but finds that the queue is massive. I don't know if you've ever been to a sporting event, yes. Manny D, yes. in real life and ever tried to buy like a beer. Impossible. It's impossible. Impossible to buy a beer or go to the bathroom. Exactly. There's like massive queues for yep. both. And just forget about it. Just fucking forget about yeah, buying you, beers. You're paying $14 for it anyway. So. Here's the thing. I hate sporting events. I absolutely hate sporting events. So if I'm ever dragged to one, I'm like, well, I've got to have as many beers as I possibly you can. You've got to be drunk, yeah. And like, it's so hard to get beers at sporting events. Like, the queue, everyone's trying to get beers at the same yes. time. It's impossible. You have to get two. Yes. So I always get two. Double fisting, yes. <laughs> and every time, because you're going to be sober by the time that you, you have to go up and get more beers because you're going to like drink them and then sober up. Yeah, anyway, back to my plot. I oh, know, I know. It's, it's so frustrating. So I think this is something that everyone can relate to. So Duke, he's lining up to get some beers. And after 30 minutes, the queue isn't getting any shorter, just like in real life. And a man waiting behind Duke taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, this is all bullshit, isn't it? Duke turns around to face an imposing Samoan man with a large mustache who offers Duke something better than beer. He's just like, hey, man, I think, uh, you know, this beer thing is like, this is a, it's a failed journey anyway. Might as well do something more exciting, right? So the two retreat to the men's room where the Samoan man produces a tab of acid. There you go. You had it in your plot as well. Nice. So I just want to point out as well that uh, this Samoan man is played by Dacre Montgomery, who I cast before as uh, Growin in my Lord of the Rings plot. Cool. Might as well bring him back. And I really want to see that guy in more stuff. I always said that I really like him as an actor. Yeah, he's not really been in much since. He right? was in a movie. He was he's in Elvis in t- with uh, Austin Butler. So the two have worked together before. Yeah, was he in a, t- in a, a TV show other than Stranger Things as well? He was. I can't remember what it is though. But yeah, he's worked with Austin Butler before. So yeah, it works. He's also not Samoan, but as we said before, we're whitewashing this anyway. So Duke is skeptical at first, obviously, to take the acid, but accepts the tab when the Samoan man says that it will make the bike race more exciting. Duke lets the tab melt on his tongue and waits for a moment, but doesn't feel the effects of the drug at all. It's just like, you know, oh, I don't feel anything. Yeah, this is this is stupid. And meanwhile, like, I imagine, like, uh, uh, the Samoan man, like, we're pretending like we don't know who he is. He's just, like, tripping his balls off, like, looking around the room. And we're like, whoa, whoa. And Duke's looking at him like he's crazy. It's just like, who's this, you know. So, Duke calls the Samoan man a lazy hippie and a con artist before rejoining the photographer at his seat. Duke begins to wonder how on earth he's going to write about the race that he hasn't seen until his thoughts are interrupted by a motorcyclist that flies off his bike like he crashes into like a mound, goes flying over yeah. the handlebars and lands in a crumpled heap. 
the motorcyclist is swarmed by a group of large lizards and Duke grabs the photographer and says, my God, man, take a picture. <laughs> Duke turns to the photographer only to find that he has been eaten by another giant lizard creature. In fact, the whole stadium is full of giant lizard creatures and they're just like drinking and tearing people apart. And, you know, the, the stadium seats are just pouring with blood. If you can imagine that. That's awesome. Duke freaks out and starts running around attempting to find an exit. But everywhere he goes, he's confronted by another lizard creature and tries to fight one that's dressed as a policeman. <laughs> Duke comes to in a jail cell where he's being held with a bunch of drunks. And here we have a cameo from Kieran. <laughs> there you are. As one of the drunks, of course. Again, really well cast in the role. <laughs> <laughs> so Duke believes that he's been wrongfully in prison and demands to know why he's being held without cause. The police try and tell Duke that he assaulted a police officer, but Duke insists that he was a lizard person and theorizes that the LAPD were lizard people the entire time, tricking the public into a false sense of security in order to eat them all one by one. They're all lizard people, man. <laughs> so Duke finds out that he's due to go in front of a judge and demands the best lawyer in Los Angeles. And then Duke then reconsiders this and demands the, give me the best, cheapest lawyer in Los Angeles. So at court, Duke is shocked to discover that his appointed lawyer is the same man that gave him the acid at the motocross race. That's very good. Very good, sir. I like that. So the Samoan man introduces himself as Dr. Gonzo and doesn't seem to remember Duke at all. He's just <laughs> like, that. it was you, you the whole time. He's like, what are you talking about? We've never met. <laughs> so when Duke tries to explain how they met earlier, Dr. Gonzo simply says, as your attorney, I advise you to keep your mouth shut. So he's like, I'll handle everything. Just keep your mouth shut and we'll get out of this fine. Don't worry. So in court, Dr. Gonzo tells the judge that Duke was molested by a policeman as a child and harbors a deep-seated fear of men in uniform. Duke doesn't know how to react to all this and just simply weeps. So he's just in the, in the box just going, because <laughs> he's just like, oh, there's no way I'm getting out of this. So the judge takes pity on Duke and lets him off without a charge. It's a miracle. Wow. So outside of the court, Duke doesn't know how to thank Dr. Gonzo. And Dr. Gonzo says, I'm just a sort of justice cutting through the red tape that keeps the little people in their place. My payment is the freedom that's granted to all men who have been dealt an unfair hand by Lady Justice. And Duke says, can I buy you a beer at least? Dr. Gonzo says, yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. Let's have a beer. So 10 beers later, Duke and Dr. Gonzo find themselves in a seedy LA bar. Oh, do, they, do they do a podcast as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was, was going to say, this is written by Maddie. <laughs> So, Dr. Gonzo is allowed drunk and keeps demanding that the bartender plays the same song over and over. <laughs> so, Duke is depressed about his new job and laments that he doesn't have anything to write about for the Playboy article. Dr. Gonzo says, journalism is bullshit. Have you ever read anything that's fact? Fact is what people tell you is true, but fact is the fiction that the man tells you in order to sell newspapers. Oh, man, deep. Your plot's getting deep, man. Yeah. And Duke says, but I can't just make up what happened. People were there. They saw what happened in the race. If I write something that isn't true, people will know. So if I just bullshit and say, like, you know, Tim McGraw won the medal and the people are like, there was no Tim McGraw in this race. Like, they're going to call out my bullshit and everyone's going to know that I just made it up. But Dr. Gonzo says, how will people know what you saw? Who are they to say what you witnessed that day wasn't the truth? It's all plausible deniability, man. As your attorney, I know all about plausible deniability. So Duke stumbles home and is inspired to drunkenly bash out an article on his typewriter. Of course, we saw this coming a million miles away. So he recounts the events of the race from his point of view, detailing everything that led up to his arrest. So of course, the drug trip, waiting in line for the beers, all of that stuff. Duke presents the article to the Playboy publishing team, who immediately fire him on the spot. <laughs> there was no derby. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't even publish this crap in Rolling Stone, they tell him, as he's thrown out on the street. So Duke, the movie ends with Duke sitting on the footpath as his article is scattered through the air by the wind. And Aww. that is my Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas prequel. Very nice. 
Very there nice. Lots I of like thematic it. stuff there. Lots of ties in there. Lots of callbacks to the original movie. Yeah. And like I said, I literally wrote that <laughs> 10 minutes before we so started recording. So, while I was driving on from the other side of the state here today, you were bashing out this plot. desperately writing that out. <laughs> Three, three failed ideas down the toilet. So when I was texting you, not while I was driving, by the way, because I would never do that. Yes. When I was texting you being like, oh, I might be able to get in like a little earlier. You're like, no. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> Please get in traffic. So, yeah, I want to know if people out there have an idea of what might happen in a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas prequel. Mm. Which one of our ideas did you like the best? Did you like them both? Did you like neither of them? Did do you like you- bits of them? Yeah. Do you think you can cobble them together into like a much bigger, better idea? Yeah. Do you just have a completely different idea for a prequel yourself also casting who would you cast yes as a young duke or a young gonzo yes i really want to know and i want to know what people think of the movie as well are people fans of this movie are they not fans of this movie why would you be listening to this podcast if you weren't a fan of fear and loathing in las vegas they're a fan of us That's you can what. let us know in several places also please congratulate us on our five-year anniversary of doing this show five years five of years, doing this man. show without a break we've never taken a break in no. five years every single week we've released an episode we've never taken a break and I think that's uh, more impressive than any other podcast I've listened to. Yeah, dude, people uh, bitch and moan about three years. Yeah. We've done five. We've done five. We used to think it was a struggle to do one. Yes. But somehow we managed to do five years of I, the I rem- hardest podcast I've ever, <laughs> ever worked on. I remember we did 50 episodes in a podcast once and we're like, oh yes. my God, wow. We, need we were cracking break. champagne. <laughs> yes. And then today, like, we barely got out of bed, so... <laughs> It shows you how far we've gone. But yeah, you can let us know your ideas. You can congratulate us, whatever you want to do in several places. You can find us on our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. I think we're going to bring back Twitter. As, Everyone as still calls it Twitter, so. Yeah, they go Twitter X in brackets, but yeah, it's Twitter. Anyway, you can send us an email at potentialspoilerspod at gmail.com, or you can simply leave us a comment on this episode's page on our Podbean site, as people like to do. There we go, Matty D. We're done with our Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas prequel. Mm-hmm. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It really was. I really, I think this is one of the biggest struggles I've ever had writing a plot for this show. Yeah, because you don't know what should be the prequel and also you don't want there to be a prequel as yeah, exactly. well. Like, it doesn't really call for it. Yes, but I think we did a pretty good job at the end of the day. I guess it's the audience's decision to decide whether that's true or not. But yes, before we wrap it up for another week, let's talk about what we're going to be discussing next week. As is standard, we're returning to the world of actual spoilers where we're going to look at two movies that we covered in the past and see how well we did with predicting them. Yes. Now, Matty D looks depressed. Yes. And I know why he's depressed, <laughs> because he knows the two movies that we're going to be talking about next week. So, next week, we're going to be covering both Sonic the Hedgehog 2 okay, yeah. and Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which is the third installment in the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Yes, which I believe we both mentioned on certain lists of our best and worst yes. of that year. Yes, we both said it was one of the worst movies uh, of that did year. Did we say worst or most forgettable? Either uh, way, it's not both. good. Both. <laughs> yeah, and Sonic Hedgehog 2, I guess we'll talk about that next week. We don't want to spoil anything there. We don't want to spoil our thoughts in advance. But yeah, please join us next week. I know you don't want to, but please join us next week. We're going to be talking all about Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Fantastic Beast: The Secrets of Dumbledore. But until then, we'll see you next time. Oh, God. Did you eat all this acid? That's right. Music! You better pray to God there's some authorities in that bag. Otherwise, you're in bad fucking trouble. Music, man. Put that table on. What table? Jefferson Airplane. White Rabbit. You want me to uh, throw this thing into the tub when uh, White Rabbit peaks? Is that it? Oh, wow. I was beginning to think I was going to have to go outside and get one. 
goddamn leads to do No, oh, man. I'll do it. Sure. What are friends for? You ready? Close your eyes. Yeah, good boy. Where are you?